0: Here is the Boots & Whiskey Podcast with Jim Belisle. And I left the media. Why they would give this man a podcast
1: is anyone's guess. And there is what could only be a bizarre coincidence or something else. Welcome to the Boots & Whiskey
0: Podcast with Jim Belisle. Trapped, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through Stuff, Country music and fine moonshine. Finally, a podcast that lets it all hang out.
1: Let's level with America. Got your boots ready for some whiskey? These boots are made for walking. (laughs) One of these days, these boots
2: are going to walk all over you.
1: And now, the Boots and
0: Whiskey Podcast with Jim Belisle. Hey everyone, Jim here, Boots and Whiskey Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is a special kind of episode. I know we didn't really, you know, promote it much and I kind of apologize for that. I I don't say kind of like I don't care. Um, I say it because this book has just come out, and I wanted to get this out um, as soon as possible. Um, Today we have Mark Davidson and Parker Fischel from the Bob Dylan Center over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, They have just come out with a book that is unbelievable. It's called Bob Dylan Mixing Up the Medicine. It's huge, guys. It's a 608-page book. Of all things, Bob Dylan. Um, so we have him, you know, having all of this historic career, right? And all of this stuff. And now it's in a book form. I mean, by no way, by no means either is it done. Um, but it's it's unbelievable what, what is in this book. If you haven't already, go to the com. You can order it, pre-order it everything you would want to do um whatever however you want to however you want to get it go get it um we have a digital copy of it and it is unbelievable like it's unbelievable it's so cool and um you know a big thank you to them for sending that over to us um so yeah we're going to we're going to hear all about Dylan you know all all kinds of stuff we um we got cut short a little bit with these guys Um, they had other things that were planned and, you know, typically here at the, at the show, we could go on all day. Right. So, um, if you're, if it's your first time here with us, thank you so much for coming along for the ride, um, today and hearing about Bob and everything that goes with it guys, we had a lot of fun talking with Mark and Parker. So thank you guys so much for, for being on the show and telling us your story and, you know, everything about. This book, and again, if you haven't gone and gotten it yet, go get it. Bob Dylan, Mixing Up the Medicine. We have Mark Davidson, Parker Fischel, on the show today. So, guys, thank you so much. If you are new here, go check us out on all socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the whole nine yards. We are there. Boots and Whiskey Podcast. Go to our website, bootsandwhiskeyentertainment.com. We have reviews of stuff. We have all kinds of cool stuff there, too, as well. Um. So, yeah, thanks for being here, and thanks for taking the time to check us out today. Happy Thursday. It's a Thursday edition of the Boots & Whiskey Podcast. Um, And, again, we hope you enjoy, and we will see you on the other side. Enjoy, guys. Cheers. We want to give a big thank you to our friends over at Off The Rails here in Worcester, Massachusetts. You can find them at offtherailsworcester.com. They have a great restaurant a great music venue. They have everything you would want to feel like in Nashville, right here in central mass. If you're ever in the area, check out the restaurant, check out the music venue again, off the rails, com, 90 commercial street Worcester. Check them out. All right, Marco. Yes. Take two. Perfect. This sounds, Oh my God. So much better. Awesome. I'm so sorry about that.
1: No, 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 no. It was our attempt to, to uh... a fancy microphone well he's yeah a, you know use a shitty microphone that uh uh that that's a little better than the built-in one
0: yeah yeah you know i can't tell you how many times i've tried microphones and things that have worked and not worked it's and i finally found this like um handheld plug-and-play little microphone that it's like a lapel microphone more or less and um it, it's it been the world of difference in the sound of the recording and all that. So it's, I get it. I totally, totally get it.
1: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're up and running and um, uh, yeah, uh, it is good to know that uh, I, I know exactly what I needed to have done, but it would have been, uh, which would have been run two headphones into a, headphone mixer into my computer but that was uh anyhow yeah i it's monday
0: we, we yes. it's all good we're you know um yeah so we'll just we'll just restart here um and uh, you know already told you what we're what we're doing what the plan is what the point is and just if you want to just start about who you are again and who you guys are again and what you're doing and all that, that that'd be great
1: yeah I'm Mark Davidson. I'm the Senior Director of Archives and Exhibits at the Bob Dylan Center and the Woody Guthrie Center here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm Parker Fischel.
2: I'm a freelance archivist and curator based out of Chicago,
1: Illinois. And together we've put together a brand new book on Bob Dylan, published, uh, put out by Callaway Arts and Entertainments. It's a 608 page tome devoted to the life and work of Bob Dylan, and it's really the first kind of deep dive into the Bob Dylan archive here in Tulsa.
0: Now, all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump, this is where I'm going to jump in and start inter, in, uh, interacting and asking a bunch of questions. Um, so first and foremost, why Bob Dylan?
1: Well... Uh, I don't know that we could have gotten as much mileage out of, uh, uh, Wayne Newton. (laughs) Fair. Um, no, no, was like, yeah. For either of you, was Dylan
0: like a, you know, I don't want to say an icon because it's cheesy, but, you know, somebody you were into, you know, growing up and, and all that stuff, or was it just a... This is, you know, was it something different?
1: Yeah, well, the the book really begins with uh, what's going on down here in Tulsa. Uh, in 2016, the Bob Dylan Archive uh, started coming to Tulsa. It was purchased by the George Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, a, a local a philanthropic organization devoted to uh, breaking the cycle of poverty here in Tulsa and making the city a better place. And a few years earlier, uh, they had purchased from Woody Guthrie's family, the Woody Guthrie archive, and they opened the Woody Guthrie Center. And Bob Dylan's archive uh, was the sort of next major piece. Um, And we opened the Bob Dylan Center here in 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 Tulsa back in May of 2022. And we've been working on this book really since the moment the archive arrived in Tulsa in 2016. So it's, it's been a a really long project in Uh, terms of, yeah, in terms of, uh, uh, my feelings and, and, uh, you know, relationship with Bob Dylan and his music that goes back to, uh, you know, my youth, uh, middle school, getting really into the the Beatles and seeing uh, a Beatles documentary, uh, unofficial documentary uh, called It Was 20 Years Ago Today. And having, you know, heard the name Bob Dylan, not really listening to the music, there was a there were a couple of scenes in that documentary. One was was him performing live. In 1966, some of that wonderful footage, uh, and then uh, Dylan doing an interview in 1965 in San Francisco. I uh, song and a quip that he made to the reporters, and you know there were, there was something just so intriguing about him, and from there. Uh, I just started to explore and I started with the sixties records and, uh, had a really, really sort of deep emotional, uh, uh, connection and resonance to, to his music.
0: No, oh, Parker, same thing for you or is something totally different?
2: Uh, different avenues. Um, same experience. So I, uh. I come from a musical family, not in the sense of having any musical ability whatsoever, but um, from a great admirers of music. Uh, my dad was in the music industry for for his entire career, and so there was always music on in the house. And my parents are boomers, so you know there was a healthy dose of Bob Dylan that you know caught my ear from an early age. And he, Um, I've been joking that I wrote my first Bob Dylan book in sixth grade when I did a time man of the year project all about Dylan and, you know, it was around the time of um, time out of mind and drew a cool, you know, picture of him in the collarless suit from that era and articles about meeting the Pope and masters of war and time out of mind. And anyway, um, from there, my parents decided that I had to go see Bob Dylan. So we went to, see dylan in concert uh it was a tour with phil lesh and we got there early and said there's no way that bob dylan is opening for phil lesh we went and got dinner and then as we went to go into the venue we heard the you know encore of dylan sort of fading down and had missed dylan but sat through a great phil lesh show and um anyway uh you know i got into dylan in, in various um ways right like uh In high school, the words, you know, I started to understand more of what he was doing with the words. And then in college, uh, I started to encounter more of and go deep on blues and jazz and country music and, you know, folk music and uh, uh, child ballads and all the kinds of things that, you know, had influenced Dylan and I started to be able to pick that out of his music. And so, you know, then it, that was enriched more. And then certainly, you know, since being involved with the the, the Dylan archive here and having access to, to that material, my appreciation and admiration of, of what it is that, you know, he does uh, has only, has only grown.
0: Wow. That's, <clears throat> that's pretty incredible. You know, I've, I was actually thinking about it earlier today and, you know, I kind of looked into a little bit about Bob and, and stuff. And cause I always, you know, when it's, when it gets to a point where, you know, these icons are, you know, we talk about their, their career in the late fifties and sixties and and all that, you know, sometimes you think, wow, how, how old is, how old Bob Dylan must be. Right. And like, I looked up and to my surprise, you know, only being 82, you know, and being and having done so much already in his his life is is quite profound and all the stuff that i mean i'm sure you guys have ruffled through and gone through it must all of that must make you feel closer to him than you probably ever would have imagined
1: yeah there is there is something about working closely with with someone's archive um that uh gives sort of insight or the illusion of insights, um, uh, but but it it also sort of brings up more questions than than anything. Um, looking at particular manuscripts and uh, wanting to know, you know, exactly when and where something was written, or or whose phone number that is on that on that notebook, or uh, those those pieces. Sure. Yeah, certainly. No,
2: yeah. I'm I- sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead
1: rifling through
2: you know going through the archive uh only makes and and i think it's reflected in the book uh only makes dylan sort of more enigmatic and mysterious um you know i don't i don't think uh i don't yeah it's the illusion of feeling close (laughs) really okay now so going through
0: all this right did you get a Do you have now a different sense of who Dylan is and was or, you know, however you want to want to label it based on your findings and, and things you've gone through?
1: Well, I, I think we'd both agree. We, we have certainly learned a lot. I, I think there are, you know, there are any number of, of Dylan books, uh, being written still coming out at this point and, and uh, a good handful of them are now uh, coming out of the Bob Dylan archive, Um, uh, you know, new biographies, new deep dives into uh, individual albums. And I think it's been a really rich resource for everyone Uh, because we had standard narratives. We had previously written biographies and for a lot of folks uh, who had written previously on Dylan, it was not just an opportunity to write an, another book, but it was an opportunity to sort of correct the previous record. All of that is to say, uh, you know, even there, there's still so much more to be done uh, to to sort of get at, you know, just the. I don't want to say the truth because that is that shows some sort of objectivity.
0: With keeping that central mass vibe going, we have to thank our friends over at the DCU Center, again here in Worcester, DCUCenter.com. They are the premier venue here in Central Massachusetts. They are a midsize arena. They're the home of the Worcester Railers, the Massachusetts Pirates numerous concerts numerous events check them out dcucenter.com they are at 50 foster street right here in worcester cheers
1: but like uh a truth a a a different sort of you know narrative uh timeline history around you know dylan's life and work
0: yeah right well i mean right when it comes to you know somebody like him and you know the icon and uh and the lore around him, right? There's there's obviously things that are gonna be embellished and things that may have been, you know, <laughs> were were gospel, if you will, that, you know, come to find out, you know, just either never happened or was fabricated or, you know, whatever. Um, so is that the sort of thing you're talking about with correcting history or telling, you know, telling the real story behind behind things?
2: Yeah, I think we avoided trying to, to say that, you know, this is the definitive story, right? Um, I think what we how we handled uh, Dylan famously going electric at um, the 1965 Newport Folk Festival is maybe like a, a good case in point where, you know, the, the narrative that we've always heard is that, you know, Dylan got up on stage and he has an electric band at this folk festival and, you know, everyone starts to boo and Pete Seeger's trying to, you know, take an ax to the, to the, you know, power cord and, you know, all, you know, chaos is breaking loose. And what we did was take, um, you know, excerpts from the raw interviews uh, done for the, Martin Scorsese documentary, No Direction Home. And, you know, there are like maybe 10 different people who were inter- there, who were primaries on the ground throughout that weekend and there for the big performance who, you know, give their perspective on what transpired. And they all see it slightly differently. They all have slightly different interpretations and I think you see like the truth is a, a slippery thing. Um, and I think all we wanted to do was put it all out there and then let you know, people come to their own conclusions. So like Maria Moldauer the, um, who uh, was a great folk singer from The Village, you played with Jim Queskin's drug band Says no, like you know, we, we were into it, and you know, yeah, there was like maybe you know, a third of the audience was booing, but everybody else was listening and wanted to see what was happening. And you've got Pete Seeger, uh John Cohn talking about Pete Seeger saying, No, 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 you know, he, Pete wasn't angry about Dylan going electric, he was angry because it was so loud, and Pete Seeger's father, Charles Seeger, uh, what the uh you know, um, eminent ethnomusicologist was also there at the festival, and his hearing aids were going off like crazy. And Pete was just trying to be protective of his father. And then you've got a postcard from years later that's actually on display here at the at the Dylan Center of Pete saying, you know, like it wasn't about you going electric. It was I couldn't hear the words, and my you know what I should have said is if if Helen Wolf can play electric music, why can't Bob Dylan? And so I think you know we put that all out there without, you know, tying it up in a neat bow. Um, We just want, uh, we wanted to show what was in the archive so that we could, you know, dispel myths, but also illuminate, um, you know, the wealth.
1: And, and you you focus mainly it seems on on Nashville and 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 country music in particular and and we can certainly uh, uh, Dylan's all over that so uh, uh, if if that would be an interesting route uh, for us to talk about I mean it's uh, uh, Dylan's deep in that realm too
0: yeah no of, of course it just you know I <clears throat> I'm not going to lie to you. I've never, (laughs) I, I appreciate Bob Dylan as an artist, as a, as a person, as a pioneer in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but I'm not going to lie to you. I never really got into the Bob Dylan catalog, if you will. Right. Um, And a lot of that was, God, I'm not even sure why, you know, I'm growing up. It was always, you know, like you mentioned, it was the Beatles, it was Led Zeppelin, it was the Stones, it was um, all those kind of bands, and, you know, really folk music, Americana, country, whatever whatever you want to call it, wasn't, wasn't primary in my life, you know, and then, as I got older and dug more into it, um, you know, the things that were happening in the 60s, and you know, with again, we're not we're not a political show by any stretch, but I mean, you have to kind of talk about it when you talk about these, these people, because, you know, maybe without, you know, the political element at the time, you know, maybe some of these guys, especially Dylan, maybe don't make the headway that they do, you know? And and again, I, I could totally be speaking out of turn, but, you know, like we were talking about popular culture would make you, would make you think that way. You know, here we have a pioneer of, you know civil rights and you know all all of this sort of thing you know is when you were doing your research is that were you getting that same sense you know based on you know what you what we hear about in the popular narrative you know was was dylan's you know outlook and perspective that heavy on what was going on at the time or was it just you know, maybe ex- I don't want to say exaggerated, but exaggerated based on the music that was being put out,
1: right? Um, I and again, I
0: don't mean that in any disrespect. No, 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 I, no, no, no,
1: no, no, no. I it's it's uh, you know, I, I I think it's I think you're getting at exactly how a lot of people, including the you know the artists them themselves at the time period, kind of came to Dylan, and. Uh, You know, certainly he was a rock and roller in high school uh, before, you know, going to university for uh, part of a year before going to Greenwich Village and getting into the folk scene there and, uh, you know, doing something that most folk singers in the village hadn't done all that much, which was write original songs and not just reinterpret traditional folk uh, songs and folk ballads. And he got a lot of blowback from that, uh, from, you know, the folks at home as it were. And, uh, but he ended up, you know, in a, in a, in a period of, of just a couple of years writing, uh, these really, really iconic and, and important, you know, what was termed topical folk songs. And as soon as that happens, uh, he changed direction and then he changed direction again. And, and, um, just looking at the 1960s by, you know, the mid sixties, uh, you know, he, he helps spur the, uh, you know, like, uh, not only, um, you know, his songs, uh, and the Beatles songs inspired the birds and, uh, and then Dylan's, uh, change also inspired the birds to start what we think of as Americana folk music. And by the end of the 1960s, Dylan himself is, you know, recording with Johnny Cash. He's doing a, uh, uh, uh an album of essentially country music himself and national skyline. Um, all of these influences of, you know, the Carter family and Ralph Stanley and, and, and Charlie Poole and, and, like all of these names are just there under the surface um and and Nashville uh where he started in the mid 60s was a really really big uh kind of important landmark a touchstone for Dylan himself um, in you know it it was it was not new york city it was not tin pan alley it was not you know this you know kind of it was it was the, the wellspring from, from which that, that music emerged.
0: Right. And, you know, at that time, you know, Nashville is, you know, for people that don't know or can't fathom, you know, Nashville was. You know, nothing at that time, you know, it was, it was a small city, you know, even though all these big names were going there, you know, it's not big names at that time are not like big names today where, you know, Johnny Cash could walk down Broadway and, you know, he wouldn't be bombarded by a thousand people. <laughs> you know, I can't, yeah. I can't imagine, you know, the likes of Luke Combs walking down Broadway and not having a, you know, a, an entourage of people around him, you know, it's just, it's just such a different world.
2: Now, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to think of Dylan goes there for the first time to record in 1966. And, and, you know, it was, he was a quote unquote long hair, you know, right. it was uh I don't think it was a, uh, he's the one who sort of broke, you know, Nashville open for the rock crowd yeah. uh, with, with moving the sessions for Blonde on Blonde from, um, you know, New York to uh, to Nashville. And, and yeah, I think it was, you know, uh, I think in some of those No Direction Home interviews, uh, maybe Al Cooper, who would have been down there recording talks about how, you know, they were kind of outlaws or pariahs <laughs> you know it was not the nicest place to be because um people were not you know happy about these these you know people coming into town um but he found a, a very sympathetic uh set of musicians and in, in the session players there and um you know everyone had their eye on dylan by that point and so you know, there was that great exhibition at the country music hall of fame and museum a few years ago, Nashville cats that paid homage to, um, all of those session guys. Um, and, uh, and then also all the, you know, other musicians who joined like Joan Baez or the birds or, or other folks who, you know, followed the, the trail down to Nashville then.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, I think you said it perfectly. I, cause I, cause I agree with you. Um, I think, I really do think that, you know, Dylan going to Nashville in, what what was it? First time was what, 66 or 67? 66. 66. And, you know, you could argue, like, without that, you know, maybe that rock and roll crossover, I mean, eventually it happens, right? But maybe it doesn't happen as quickly and as profoundly as does you know when the once the 70s rolls around
2: yeah it's it's probably you know if you want to look at dylan's involvement in that it's probably him going to nashville and then in the midst of heavy psychedelia <laughs> you know in 67 and 68 and 69 he's making you know the basement tapes are you know which start to trickle out from upstate new york with the ba- you know his recordings with the band just home recordings, um, and then John Wesley Harding, which was, you know, a stripped down, like, basically, I think it's like a trio record. It's just him with a goose guitar bassist, on drum for a large part, maybe Pedal Steel at some point, um, and, which is recorded in Nashville. And then, um, you know, uh, that's like turning people's heads as, you know, people are getting deep into the backwards guitars and the long jams, and here he stripped it down to the elements. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, those two things in tandem, I think helped maybe, um, send some people down to Nashville to get back in touch with sort of that quote unquote roots music that had always been there, you know, for them as well. Cause, yeah. Cause all yeah. probably grew up listening to the Grand Old Opry because of, you know, clear channel radio being able to stretch across the United States or like, you know, the Louisiana Hayride, um, yeah. you know, music. Uh, certainly Dylan talks about like radio being a big thing growing up and, and, and for all these artists, you know, uh, it would have been, you know, that's what you did on Saturday night.
0: Right. No, I like that. You, you touched upon that. Do you think, again, this is just your opinion. Do you think that if somebody like Bob Dylan emerges sometime within the last, you know, let's say 10 years, you know do do you think somebody like that could have such a impact as you know he was able to do because of the radio i now we got to thank our friends on the north shore the porch southern fair and juke joint our buddy jonathan Post is the head chef and owner of The Porch. They are at 175 Rivers Edge Drive, right in Medford, Massachusetts. Don't want to miss this place. They have some of the best food in the region. Jonathan has brought his Nashville roots here to New England with the food, with the hospitality, and most of all, the music. Check them out, theporchsouthern.com.
1: I think... We are in a, you know, I, have I've thought about this a lot lately, um, you know, with regard to, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, who, who, you know, had a, uh, intense love for Dylan. In, in fact, the, the mutual respect there, uh, uh, is, is really wonderfully elucidated by, uh, an essay by Greg Tate in, in our book or the Beatles and yeah, the Beatles are all for a book too, but how would, how would artists, you know, I, I think there was sort of a virgin landscape at that moment in the sixties, post-war, you know, America and, 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 and the UK um, where it was kind of a, it was a blank slate. Uh, in a lot of ways, and and, and, and a place that, uh, you know, allowed for experimentation and, you know, trying out new ideas and growth, and and uh, that, you know, <clears throat> after that is imitation. But at that moment, it's it's like it's, you know, it's the new stuff. It's what's going on. Um, yeah, I. I, it's, it's, it's funny in, in shifting just, just a little bit, like we, we get into in the book a lot about Dylan's relationship with Johnny Cash in particular and, uh, their friendships stretching back to, you know, the early 1960s, their first meeting in 1964 at the Newport Folk Festival and the decades afterwards where, uh, You know, there's a lot of a lot of letters uh, from from Johnny to Bob and and uh, tributes and um, Dylan performing on the Johnny Cash show. And the first episode of the Johnny Cash show in 1969, which I mean, itself is kind of mind blowing. Um, uh, Yeah, I I. Yeah, a, a couple of streams of thought there. Um and somehow they're related, but uh well I was just going to add
2: yeah. to the first part of Mark's comment briefly uh because I think what he touched on is really important is that, you know, rock and roll was not big business in the way that we think of it today. Um and I think we pointed out in talking about the 1966 world tour where Dylan's soundman this incredible wizard of an engineer named Richard Alderson, who sort of pops out uh, up in a couple points, important points in Dylan's story. Uh, is is inventing a, a sound system and is inventing the rock PA uh, you know um, uh, sound system. Like the Beatles are playing at Shea Stadium through the the PA system. And Richard Alderson is assembling speakers and a mixer, and he's literally like soldering this stuff together on stage so that Dylan can kind of have, you know, uh, his own sound system, can control what he's projecting. Um, and the Beatles are, you know, at the mercy of I mean, I think that's, you know, one element. And then, you know, Dylan in mid-1966 has this motorcycle accident, and he doesn't tour again in a in a real way until 1974, in which case rock has really evolved, right? And now he's, he's playing these, sold out you know tour of arenas and stadiums but i think it's like really telling that like think about um you know people going crazy about taylor swift merchandise you know the first bob dylan concert t-shirt you could buy was not until 1978 damn and and that was we, we actually had a little section of the book that eventually got cut because we had to make space for everything else but um you know it's a uh, it was just a different you know time and it it you were able to. He was, you know, Dylan was able to cut through because he he was of perseverance and you know um, talent, obviously, but also you know perseverance and work ethic and and um, and and dogged. You know, when you look at his trajectory in yeah. that early year, he arrives in New York City in early 1961. By the end of the year, he signed to Columbia Records, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest record label in the world. In November of 1961, he plays a show at Carnegie Chapter Hall, which is a small venue, uh, not the big sort of main venue, but a small one at um, Carnegie Hall. And he sells, I think there were 57 tickets sold for this concert. Two years later, less than two years later, in October of 1963, he is selling out the main, you know, auditorium at Carnegie Hall, and so you just have, uh, you know, uh, this perfect sort of storm of talent and, um, you know, determination, and and, you know, obviously there were many other factors, um, but I think, you know, without those two, we, we don't have Bob Dylan. Wow, that's wild.
0: That's that's insane. You know, I I gotta say with with the Little that I've known about, you know, Bob Dylan as, you know, the pioneer, you know, across genres, um, you know, getting to hear it from, you know, really, I'm, I'm going to argue a firsthand perspective because you guys have been <laughs> so enthralled into this. It's absolutely mind blowing how much, you know, you think about it now. I You know, I think about it now sitting here and how much we owe, you know across maybe even all genres but you know in in country music alone that you know how much bob dylan has made his stamp and you know paved the way for a for a lot of things you
2: wouldn't have wagon
0: wheel without him oh god gee thanks bob (laughs) no you just Um, you you guys just ruined the whole thing (laughs) Uh, that's true that is true um You know, because anybody that knows anything about Wagon Wheel, which we've gotten to the point now where I think, you know, Wagon Wheel is one of those songs that I remember hearing somebody cover it, God, almost 20 years ago now. And I was like, huh, this is a pretty good song. And then, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, you know, with the labels and radio and how it all works out. Now it's one of those songs where it's like, oh, God, please, no more. You know, and it's it it's unfortunate because it is such a
2: great song. It's quite catchy. There's a bar in um, Chicago that has a uh, that has live music, and they have a sign that says, "You know, if you request Wagon Wheel or you play Wagon Wheel, you're going to be kicked out." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have I have a
0: meme where it's like Wagon Wheel stops with you, you know, <laughs> something like that. It's um, it's it's actually it's actually pretty funny, but um, so. You know, with that. With that being said, you know, because, you know, again, going back to wagon wheel, you know, most people, you know, know the Darius Rucker version or, or whatnot. Um, but, and I again, I'm I'm going based on my own memory, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Did Dylan write that whole thing or just part of it? Because I know he wrote it you know sometime in the 70s or at least again part of it and then what happens to it from there i know you know anybody that really knows music or the countryside of it we all know like old crow medicine show kind of like were the ones that took it and ran but you know could you tell us a little of the
2: history of that so um, I the dylan part um and then i probably know less than you or i I yeah, I could sketch out maybe what happened, but but you probably may be able to fill in you know more once um, catch Sakur uh, from um, Old Crow gets, gets uh, tuned into it. But what I remember or what I know from the Dylan side is that um, in 1972, let's say uh, Dylan is um, cast in a Sam Peck and Paul Western, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, Dylan Axenit, it's his um, first Hollywood film. Um, it's called, uh, yeah, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. He's a character called Alias. He was also invited to score the soundtrack. And um, that starts in early 1973. Yeah, they do one session down in Mexico, and then they do uh, several sessions in, in Burbank um, a little later in 1973. And it's the the kernel of Wagon Wheel that uh, comes from this song, which we call Rock Me Mama, simply because that seems to be the chorus that Dylan's singing. It was never given a title. It's just a little thing off the cuff, you know, thing that um, Dylan does in between takes of like, you know, the end title or knocking on heaven's door or any of the sort of things we know from the soundtrack uh, and he only does it once um but sure enough Dylan uh, is arguably the most bootlegged artist of all time and soon enough uh you know outtakes and alternate takes from those Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack sessions start to circulate and one of those uh, got into uh, the hands of, of Ketch, I think when he was in college, I think he said like, ooh, that's interesting. And, and again, the chorus is just like, rock me mama like a wagon wheel. And from that, they, Ketch wrote this song around it um, and then got permission um, from Dylan's you know, management. Um, and so they share songwriting credits. Um, and then obviously Darius Rucker, you know, it became a staple of the little pro medicine show, but when Darius Rucker, Um, you know, covered it. It took on a a whole nother life in the same way that uh, a song like Make You Feel My Love, which a lot of young um, people think Adele must have written, um, was actually, you know, a Bob Dylan song from Time Out of Mind. So it's it's funny how these things work.
0: Yeah. You know, I want to I want you to speak on that now that now that we kind of brought it up and, um, you know, people taking Dylan songs and you know, maybe depending on who you talk to, arguably making them more famous than he did, right? You know, because you think about heaven, uh, knocking on heaven's door, right? Um, I think anybody that knows anything knows that um, Guns N' Roses do their version, right? And I think even before that, you know, maybe people know that it's a Dylan tune, but, you know, how, what's it like for, you know, somebody like Bob to, have these songs that he, that he himself has made, you know, an impact on, but other artists making maybe even a bigger impact on.
1: Yeah, there, there's a long history of that. Um, you know, Blown in the Wind uh, by Peter, Paul, and Mary was the way the world really heard Blown in the Winds, and they shared a manager in Albert Grossman, um, you have the birds in the, you know, mid sixties doing a ton of Dylan tunes, uh, Mr. Tambourine Man uh, being uh, a great example um, uh, and, and kind of taking, you know, what the Beatles were doing and what Dylan was doing and, and, and creating this new sound all along the watchtower, which uh, Jimi Hendrix did, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know. Which even for Dylan seems to have become the definitive version of that song, and uh, you know the the list is 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 really endless. Um, you know, Parker mentioned to make you feel my love, and you know you've got Garth Brooks and 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 Adele and Billy Joel and um, you know all of these people taking that and making it their own, and the underlying all of that is you know, this idea of um, traditional tunes, traditional folk songs and ballads and, uh, and standards as, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, you know, the the types of of tunes that a a Sinatra would do. And so that, that, uh, you know, Dylan operates on that level as well as, as not only being the interpreter of, of these traditional songs and standards, but also the, the person who was, you know, created those for others to perform.
0: Yeah. It's, it, you know, now that you say even more and more songs, it's like, wow, it's, it's so, it's been so profound in the, you know, really the history of rock and roll and other genres about how influential and how, you know, how these songs have, almost taken a life of their own depending on you know who's singing it whether it's him or somebody else it's it's crazy
2: yeah i mean i think
0: so i think i would be totally remiss if i didn't mention our friends over at 10th thwhiskeycom that's 10th mountain whiskey and spirit company they're out of vale colorado great great friends of ours we um we don't like bourbon here at the Boots and Whiskey podcast, and they make the absolute best bourbon I've ever tasted in my entire life. And I'm not saying that because they've been great to us. They have the best bourbon, the best rye I've ever tasted in my entire life. So check them out, 10thwhiskey.com. Tell them the Boots and Whiskey podcast sent you. Cheers. You know,
2: the, the ultimate sort of um, uh, point on what Mark just said is that, you know, I th- Nobel Prize was recognizing that, that that there is a great American songbook, which Dylan has covered and, and um, you know explored uh, in the past decade, um, yeah. and that's important to his work and has been important to his work from his youth, um, but that he's really created this you know alternate great American songbook all by him all by his lonesome uh, that has expanded you know. Poetics and literary imagination, and and, and all that, um, you know, all that stuff that academics like to talk about. Uh, but it's uh, it's quite incredible.
0: <laughs> now, as you know, I, I guess we're you know, I'm taking a ton of your time, and I appreciate it. But this is so so fascinating to me. Um, now, as as Dylan goes through the years, right, and we've we've talked about you know, the influences and, and all that. But, you know, at, at some point, you know, he, you know, he gets together with, you know, some of the greatest artists of all time, you know, and I, and that's, that might be my own bias, but, you know, I got to talk about one of my favorite collection of artists to put out a band with the Traveling Wilburys. Um, how does that come to be? Because that, you know, that is an array of, you know i would say some of the best talents in you know different genres of rock and roll country music you know what however you want to spin it you know all in all in one, all in one group and we got i would say again my own bias but some of probably the best songs maybe ever written
1: yeah uh, the traveling worries phenomenon is 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 funny because well when when that first came out and i was you know 12 13 years old and listening to you know anthrax and metallica and dri and whatever and i was like who are these old guys uh it was around the time of touch of gray by the grateful dead and the the funny thing is is it, it everybody seems so over the hill and uh like you know who are these old dudes but (laughs) <laughs> they are probably younger, and definitely no older than I am now. Um, uh, so there's that. Uh, just perspective of history, um, uh, and the fact that my knees are beginning to creak. But um, yeah, I mean, the the way that traveling Wilburys came together is is as organic as. Um, as it can get. And it was really, you know, George Harrison was, uh, working on cloud nine, uh, his kind of this album that, that made a a comeback for him. And at that point in the, uh, in the 1980s, it's, it's a really, really important moment for, you know, the, the musicians of the sixties, just in general, because, as I had mentioned, 20 years uh, from *Sergeant Pepper's there, you know, uh, uh, a lot of sort of anniversary things going on. Um, the CD had taken hold. And so many people were rebuying their record collections on compact disc. You have uh, the rise of the archival box set that, uh, you know, Dylan had a big hand in putting out, which was Biograph in 1985. Um, the early to mid eighties attempts by many of these musicians to kind of keep up with the times, uh, to do records in the style of, of the younger generation, uh, had, you know, had it's, you know, totally likely results. And so all these musicians are getting back to what, you know, they had been doing. Um, so George Harrison does cloud nine. Uh, he needs a B-side for a single, um, uh, Roy Orbison happens to be in Los Angeles at the time, uh, George had been working with Jeff Lynn. Uh, you know, this, the story goes that, you know, they, uh, uh, they, I think they needed a particular guitar and Tom Petty had it and, Bob was around, and they recorded initially at Bob's. So um, I could be I could be messing up some of the details on that, but out of that came Handle with Care, and mm. out of that came you know uh, you know the, Do you think we have anything? And the record you know execs going Oh my God, this is you know lightning in a bottle, and yeah. and from there you get you know Traveling Wilburys Volume One. I I can only imagine being a fly
0: on the wall in that room when you have those five guys, you know, in the same place at the same time. Like, that is, you know, you could argue, like, that, the five of them are, you know, the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll and music in general.
2: Yeah, they appear to be having a good time, too, from, you know, the photos and the music videos, I think. Yeah. uh, there's a very nice uh, letter uh, which is included in the book from, um, from George to Bob uh, at the end of the, the sessions where he's just like, uh, you know, I know this isn't the type of thing you normally do, but it was a lot of fun and I hope, you know, you're also proud of the way it turned out. Um, and I guess they all were because other than Orbison who passed away, they returned for the uh, aptly named volume three. Yeah, you know,
0: I was I was just going to ask about that about how you know, how that came to be or if there's anything out there, you know, from Dylan's perspective about you know, the next album um after Roy had passed away.
1: Yeah, well, um I'm trying to think of of what we have in the in the archive regarding uh you know, we, we know that, you know, volume three instead of volume two, which it actually was, was kind of a joke, just as the name Traveling Wilburys was uh, from uh, uh, Jeff Lynne and George Harrison recording uh, Cloud Nine and and somebody, you know, making a, a mistake or something and, and them saying, we'll bury it in the mix, which became Wilbury. Um, Parker, what do we know? My, I, I don't think, you know, we, we have much in the archive that
2: speaks to why, except that they had a hit album, um, right. and even, you know, without Roy, they were still all, like, friends, um, you know, Dylan and uh, Harrison went back to the, you know, 1960s, the first time in 1964, when Dylan met the Beatles at the Delmonico Hotel, and we, you know, chart a little bit of, of Dylan and Harrison across the years. Harrison famously spent uh, Thanksgiving of 1968 with Dylan upstate outside Woodstock. And there's a, a lovely letter that he wrote, a uh, thank you note he wrote to Dylan um, that's in the book, uh, which gives you a glimpse of the fact that they were writing I'd Have You Anytime, which was the, the first song on Harrison's Debut solo solo album in 1970. um, All Things Must Pass. Uh, And clearly, you know, Dylan and um, Petty also uh, had a a long working relationship and, and, you know, friendship at that point, having um, first started working together in 1985, uh, performing famously at Farm Aid. And then, um, you know, Dylan even performed with Petty's and the heartbreakers at Farm Aid this past year, yeah, um, in a surprise set just a, a few weeks ago. But um, but you know him and Tom then with the part breakers toured the world in uh, 1986 and 1987. So I, you know I think they had a hit album and they were all friends and you know the occasion presented itself to to go in for uh, a second helping. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's truly remarkable.
0: Yeah. You know what. he's been able to do and accomplish and and all that now um i know we're gonna jump a little bit here but you know bring can you bring us up to current on you know the state of dylan and what's going on and all that and you know maybe a little bit about you know why this book why now why you know all those sorts of things you know i know you touched upon it where it's like well we have it we have the archives here it's it makes it easy Right. But, um, you know, kind of like why why this moment in time?
1: Right. Um, well, it, it. Dallas Jackson here with tips Tipsy Music. Artists, are you tired of getting five dollars by Freebird? Are you getting fans to engage with your own music? Venmo and Linktree are just temporary solutions until now. Tipsy Music is the one-stop shop for live music to make your life easier and monetize your setlist. Tipsy takes Venmo, Apple Pay, Google Pay, and even credit cards all through your unique Tipsy QR code. The best part is no app to download, so fans can pay you quickly and get back to getting Tipsy while watching you do what you do best. Sign up for free today at tipsymusic.com. That's T-I-P-S-E-E music.com, at Tipsy Music on all socials. Long live live music. In, in terms, you know, now and not why, when he, I mean, Dylan is, is still actively working and touring, and uh, you know, one of the strongest albums of his entire career came out in 2020 in Rough and Rowdy Ways. Uh, mm-hmm. he's still doing it, he's still touring, he's touring as we speak, um, uh, and you know, it, it doesn't seem there's, uh, any, any plan to slow down. Um, uh, but at some point, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, it, it just, it, it felt like the moment to do it. Um, and, and our book went up, uh, you know, we were writing it and, uh, finishing it up around the time of his spring tour of this year. So that's, that's as, as current as it gets. In fact, I, I was really wanting to get, uh, some of the stuff from, uh, you know, his most recent tour cover songs that he's been doing and the like, but, um, uh, at some point we had to say stop. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, so Dylan, for, go ahead. I'm sorry,
2: Parker, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it's a very much an unfinished story. Uh, yeah, yeah. and that's the way it's left. Dylan is on the road and, um, and, you know who knows what you know the future may hold and it may the way that your relationship like as you were explaining has changed to Dylan over the years you know is the way we interpret his his music and his his you know work changes in relation to whatever comes next and so I think that's one of the you know exciting parts is that um you know, this is a story that will continue to evolve as Dylan continues to, you know, create and, and, um, and even, you know, rewrite his old material, like uh, his most recent record, Shadow Kingdom revisits his early work um, in totally new arrangements and often new, you know, with new, often new words. So, um, so in no way is this like the final word. It's maybe the start of the next chapter.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this, you know, yeah, right. You know, obviously you could have waited until, you know, the unfortunate time when, you know, Dylan does pass and all that stuff. But I think, I think this all, you know, as you were saying, this also opens it up to be, you know, an anthology or, or what have, what have you, you know, a, a volume two, three, you know, however time goes on, um, As you guys are putting this book together, right? We know you know it's it's huge. This thing is ginormous. I got a digital copy of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like it's it's breathtaking. Some of the stuff that's in here, right? Um, You know, out of the six hundred and eight pages, what was how many pages was the original draft when you first put it together?
1: I think it it would have come out to eight hundred something. It was it was. Quite a bit longer than than what we ended up with, with uh, many more essays and uh, images, and um, we we paired it back uh, about as much as we were able to um, uh, to, to keep that narrative. and I, And I think that the tightening up of it uh, uh, helped. Um, if for nothing else uh helped everybody's backs uh Ooh. uh when they had to pick it up.
0: Right. Now, is that, is that the only reason why you cut it down was to make it a little more, um I, I don't want to say flowy, but, you know, make it a little more tighter and, you know, a little less, you know, maybe like, all right, well that, that was as, maybe as important as this may have been, it also doesn't fit, you know, the kind of flow we're going for.
1: Is that kind of what you, where you were thinking? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I I wrote an 800 and some page dissertation, and uh, uh, and and I have come to find, um, and a lot of authors do this, and a lot of authors on Dylan do this. I need to put in every single detail, every meal he had, and at some point, you you lose the narrative. Uh, by trying to get in every, you know single fact and, and moments. And one of the advantages we had in this book was sort of well, what we've we've described as an inside out biography is we didn't need to have all of the connective tissue of, you know, narrative tissue that uh, you know, a book may typically need because we were working off of objects and images, artifacts, so we could we could land the reader sort of directly into the moment uh, and give the context from there rather than, you know, this is the path Dylan drove to get to Newport in 1965 and, you know, those sorts of details.
0: Right, right, which, you know, the Newport Blues Festival is, you know, big for us because it's it happens about 35 minutes down the street from us, which is... Mm-hmm unfortunately something i've actually never been to um and a lot of that is because one i forget until the weekend it's here and it's too late um but um you know but we could go on a whole episode about that um but once once this book is you know together and completed to the way you guys have you know i know as an artist like you kind of i don't want to say settle with but you know settle with and i think you kind of can get what i mean by that and it's not a negative thing it's just you know, you always, like you were saying, you would love to have everything in there, but some things have to go. Um, yeah. Once it's all put together and it's, okay, this is ready to go. Now, do you have to give it to Bob and his people and say, okay, are you happy with this? Or do, does, I mean, did Bob have any input in this at all?
1: Oh, uh, not not telling himself. And, and I, I, you know, uh, my standard answer is, is I don't believe I'll ever meet Dylan and in, in my lifetime, but, but certainly, you know, uh, Dylan's people were behind what we were doing and it's an, an authorized, uh, uh, you know, book and, um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I think it reflects that. Yeah. Okay.
2: And, and not just you know Dylan's people, but um, obviously you know Universal uh, owns Dylan's publishing, and there's a lot of you know his lyrics, uh, manuscripts, you know things that have never been seen before throughout the book. Uh, you know Sony Music, which you know been, uh, contains Columbia Records, which is his you know longtime label, other than a very short stint in the '70s, since they one the, you know they were wholly supportive and opened up their archives so a lot of the wonderful photos from the 60s come from there and uh, you know we had a lot of partners and a lot of contributors you know who helped make this book what it is now in
0: today's day and age with technology and all that did you have to go to their archives to get all that stuff or did, were they able to like send you you know files and pdfs of everything
1: yeah, we we have a really, really extensive digital archive from which we, we pulled the assets for the book. Um uh and uh it's it's massive. So we had no shortage of 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 things to work with. And um yeah, uh, we you know, we had a treasure trove. I, I spent one Saturday evening going through fifty thousand Ken Regan photos to find the one I was looking for. Um so that's that's kind of what we were dealing with. Damn. Damn, so there
0: were, there was no shortage you guys had no, pretty much a,
1: everything right at your fingertips yes ab- absolutely uh, awesome. we've we've got something at the top of the hour unfortunately
0: yeah no that's fine that's fine we can uh, we'll uh, we'll write, wrap this up again guys thank you so much um with have with being on and telling the story and and doing everything you know it's greatly greatly appreciated and you know for everybody that's you know Dylan fan or not you know, this is a, this is a book that you definitely want to check out if, if you're a music person, I would say.
1: Yeah. I think and th- this has been a real joy, uh, and, and, and a ton of fun.
0: Good, good guys. Thank you so much again. And, um, you know, hopefully we can have you back on the show sometime. Cause there's, there's so much more about Dylan we could get into and, you know, hopefully one day soon we can.
2: Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. we right, love guys, to. Do
0: it. Thanks so much.
1: All right. Thank take you. care, Jim.
0: See ya. Also, don't forget our friends over at Rhinestones.com. Our good friend, Ray, is the owner over there. She makes incredible clothing that you've seen all over the place from Nashville to Boston to everywhere in between. Some really big names have worn her stuff. That's hogwash, the letter N, rhinestones.com. Check them out. Tell them the Boots and Whiskey podcast sent you. You won't be disappointed. Check them out. com. Well, there you have it, everyone. Again, Mark Parker, thank you so much for being here. It was so unfair that we had to stop. I could have gone on for hours with these guys. And, you know, I think we're going to have them back. Maybe let's have them back. What do you think? I think we should have them back because um, there's so much more. I would, would love to get into the nitty gritty about, um, you know, it was great talking to these guys. You know, I, we've never had an author here. That's not that's actually a lie. We have had an author before um, on this show. but. um this is totally different, you know. This is a, a totally different thing, you know. A, a big thank you to these guys for for taking the time and, um, you know, chatting and telling us all of these things. I hope, I hope that, you know, they enjoyed themselves because we certainly did. Um, what do we got coming up? Nothing this weekend, I don't think. Oh, we're going to see Jessie Murph tonight at the House of Blues in Boston. Apparently, she's got some country um stuff tour. Um this was a, a show my wife and her best friend wanted to go to, so we're going. Um and I we'll report on it as as we do. And um yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe something will come of that. Um other than that, guys, I don't think we have anything really crazy until um looking at the calendar here. Oh, we have Creed Fisher next week, next Thursday night. Creed has also been on the show. Um, Check that out. We also have a bunch more um, conversations we're going to be recording over the next month or so. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to kind of cut it off here soon, uh, the next three weeks or so, because we have a lot, guys. I'm not going to lie. We have a lot. And um, I kind of want to take some time off before the holidays uh, really get ramped up. So... Again, thank you everybody for being on the show. Um, again, Mark Parker, you guys were fantastic. I cannot wait to talk again. Um, and if you guys again, like I said, if you guys get a chance, check it out. Um, bobdilloncenter.com. You can see everything right there. Um, you can order the book um and all that. And it's a, it's a cool little read, guys. So go check it out. And um, yeah, that's it. So guys. Remember, if this is your first time here, you know, we are a little rough around the edges per se. Um, so thank you for sticking with it and listening along. Um, you know, here we're all about real people, real stories, real country. And, you know, so that's that's what we strive for. You know, we authenticity and realism. So thank you so much for everybody for for being exactly that here at this show um so yeah until next time which is tuesday we'll have an episode tuesday we'll actually have two episodes again next week tuesday and thursday Uh, i think going forward we're just gonna announce them both at the same time and that's it guys so thank you so much for being here again keep those boots on the ground guys the whiskey in the glass and we'll see you on tuesday enjoy your weekend cheers y'all